You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So as we jump in this morning, I got to roll back the clock a little bit and talk to you about when I was a teenager. Um, Probably early high school days, my mom bought me a present. Now, It wasn't the first present she ever bought me. She was pretty awesome, and so she did pretty good. But this present in particular that she bought me was a really, really special present. Now, the the cool thing about it is she had no idea how special this gift was going to be, like what an impact it would have on my life. it, It turns out that this gift that she gave me actually changed the course of my life. Very much for the better. This gift that she gave me, uh, it's nothing particularly special in and of itself. It's just a fairly common object. But in my hands, what this common object could do changed forever the way I look at the world. It changed everything. It changed the way I look at landscapes, the way I look at clouds, the way I looked at grass, bugs, people, colors, textures. Like literally everything was transformed because of this gift. Now, this gift is a sweet 1970s era Pentax K1000 camera. This particular camera right here is absolutely nothing special, and yet it's one of my dearest possessions because it's been on countless adventures with me, countless miles. I have gone snow camping with it. I can't even remember how many times. I have dropped it in a frozen lake that we were ice fishing in. It fell in the side of the lake, and it froze solid, and I didn't know it was in there until like the next day. I pulled it out, camping in the woods, set it next to a campfire, unthawed it, and still the film developed. Like, this thing is bulletproof. And this camera, along with all of the goodies that came with it, uh, my mom bought at an estate sale in a box of junk for 10 bucks. She had no idea what she was giving me when she gave me this little kit with all these goodies in it. I've spent my life chasing the things that can be done with one of these. And this camera did something amazing for me. It, it planted deep within me a, a seed of wonder, a, a way to look at the world with this never satisfied sense of curiosity. A need almost to see the world differently than at a first glance. And the sense of wonder is, is something that all of us have experienced. All of us have had this same sense of wonder. All of us were kids. And kids are amazing when it comes to tapping into their sense of wonder. You follow a kid around anywhere and almost anything can capture their attention, whether it's a cloud or uh, some bug on a tree or a, a noise that they hear, right? Like they, they can so easily be sucked in and just drawn into whatever it is around them that's fascinating and interesting. And, and, and you can catch them awestruck at the simplest of things or the most complex of things. The challenge is, as we get older, we tend to lose our sense of wonder. We, we lose touch with that, that 
awe and wonder and reverence and curiosity that we have when we're kids. And science backs it up. Science shows that in brain studies, when we're younger, we're more engaged in the right side of our brain, which kind of functions for curiosity and art and creativity. And then as we get older, the function kind of moves to the more of the left side of the brain, where we do kind of more of an analytical, logic-based thinking, problem solving, and we start to do and think and see the world differently. And then life just gets busy as adults and we hurry along through life we don't we don't stop and smell the roses like we did as a little child we don't take the long way to the other side of the workplace or the long way around the parking lot we get the closest spot not the farthest away right we, we don't stop and jump in puddles like we might have when we were kids we're not eager to try new things oftentimes because we like what we like or we're in a hurry and while all of this may sound kind of interesting, and it's kind of fun to think about and learn about, you may be wondering, like, okay, where are we going with this? Now, here's what I want you to understand. It's not just that this is interesting. It's not just that it's like, oh, a little bit of memorabilia, like I can remember when. Like, it's, it's so, so, so much more than that. Because Jesus says that if you cannot reconnect with your childlike wonder that you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And all of a sudden, it kind of matters. This idea of tapping back into our childlike wonder. Mark chapter 10 is going to be one of the chunks that we're in today. And in Mark chapter 10, the setup for this scene before we jump into it is Jesus is teaching on some pretty difficult things about uh, marriage and divorce and relationship issues. And there's a lot of context wrapped around what he was teaching about and why he was talking about it at that time and that place. And on the heels of this conversation and this teaching about marriage and relationship issues, there's something that happens that I think a lot of people can really easily miss. Moms and dads, on the heels of Jesus teaching about marriage and relationship stuff, moms and dads bring their kids to Jesus. The the first fruits of their marriages, of their relationship. They bring their kids to Jesus in hopes that Jesus would touch them, see them, care about them, pray for them, bless them. Like they're, They're trying to bring their kids to Jesus. Let's pick up the story. Um, Mark 10, verse 13 says, People were bringing the children to Jesus to, uh, for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of, uh, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. You see, I need you to kind of soak that up for a minute. Imagine parents bringing their kids to Jesus, their, their most cherished possessions, if you will, like the people on earth that they love and are devoted and, and concerned about the most, and they're trying to get them to Jesus. And Jesus understands how important this is and how significant this is, but the disciples miss it. They're trying to do crowd control, right? They're trying to screen his calls. They're trying to go, no, 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 he's really important. And you don't understand, like, there's two, I, I mean, it's nice that you want your kids to come and, you know, get a picture with the Messiah, but we'll do that later. 
Like he's too busy. And they're trying to shoo the parents and the kids away. And Jesus, it says in a very Bible-y way, is indignant. In North Idaho, I call that Jesus was ticked. It says Jesus was indignant. He, he chastises the disciples and says, no, 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 knock it off. Like, you guys don't understand what's going on here. And he defends the little kids, and he defends the actions of their parents. Like, Jesus goes to bat for the parents in front of them and says, no, don't, no, 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 nobody stop this. Bring those little kids to me. And so he brings the kids to him, and it says, verse 16, that he took the children in his arms, and he placed his hands on them and blessed them. And I just love the imagery, imagining this scene, right? Like, we've got to understand the scene. There's Pharisees around. They're listening to try and see if he's going to say something wrong, to see what they can bring against him. There's, there's just regular bystanders that are just purely curious because everywhere he goes, there seems to be a crowd. There's a buzz. There's an interest. They're not sure what they're even looking for, but they're just around and they're watching. There are those that are truly following him and are trying to get to know more about what this kingdom of heaven is like and how do you enter it and who is the Messiah and, and they're wrestling with all this. And then there's his most devoted followers, his, his disciples that are with him close. And, and, and there's these parents that are shoving in, trying to get a, 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 an elbow in to make room for their kids. And in the midst of all this, Jesus picks up these little kids. He picks them up. I have no way of knowing what it might have looked like except speculation. And purely just guessing in my imagination, I imagine there's three or four or five hanging on him on every way, right? One in this arm, one in this arm, and one doing the foot thing where you do the thing like this, right? Like, and just, and there's this joy that Jesus had in having these kids come to him, and, and he's, he's whispering in their ears, and he's looking them in their eye, and he's getting down on their level, and he's praying for them, and talking to them, and interacting and engaging with them, and and he's helping the people see around them. Like, I need you to see a real life example of what it's like to become like a child if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 15 is where he says it. He says, I tell you, anybody who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so there we have it. You've got to become like a little child, right? He doesn't say like anybody wants to enter the kingdom of heaven has to just be a really, really good person. He doesn't say in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be really smart and, and know the scriptures inside out and upside down. He doesn't say in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to come from the right family. In order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to have the, the right amount of money in your bank account. You have to be able to give enough or do enough or work hard enough. He doesn't say any of that. He says something profoundly simple. But it stops everybody in their tracks. It's not what was expected. In order to the king, enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become like a little child. And he says, if you can't, you won't ever get in. He doesn't really mince words about it. 
in the very next exchange, in this exact same scene, Jesus has this opportunity to kind of contrast and compare between like the simplicity of a child entering the kingdom versus the complicated way and how difficult it can be for mature people. People who have grown up, who have figured this life out, who have kind of made a way for themselves, that know how to get their bills paid, that know how to make sure there's food on the table, that have a little money in the retirement savings, right? Like the people that have figured life out, he, he contrasts with this picture of kids and helps us understand that like on the, on the one hand, it's as simple as coming in like, like a little child. On the other hand, it can be incredibly difficult. Look at how that story plays out in this teaching. In Mark 10, verse 17, it says, Jesus started on his way. Uh, A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. There's a whole other sermon for another day. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you own and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Well, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, We're going to hang out here for a minute. I'm going to keep you right in this scene because there's all sorts of, of commentaries and things that have been taught over the years about the, that in Jerusalem there was a gate that was called the eye of the needle and it was like the shape of a camel or some stories say that you had to get down. It was like it was uh, so small that a camel had to get on its knees and crawl through. Um, I've ridden a camel and they're crazy weird animals. I can't see one of them moving on their knees, so that's weird. But... Um, their legs are like triple jointed. You ought to see how they get up and down. It's bizarre. Um, I'm always like, oh, it looks like something's going to break. Anyways, rabbit trail. Um, they, they say that you can only get the camel through the gate if it's stripped off of all of its luggage or cargo or whatever. And, and archaeologically, historically, there's no evidence. There is no documentations that there has ever been such a thing as a gate called the eye of the needle. It's just a great preaching illustration that came up many years ago and has been kind of perpetually told. But but it's not an accurate statement. And so I want to just shed that stuff away and not get lost in some story you've heard about how he was tying it into the gate. Like I want us to just hang out in the actual scene with really what was going on right here. Like Jesus is saying that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you got to become like a little child. And, and, And the disciples are struggling with that. They're like, man, that's... That's tough, right? And, and then he goes on, and, and this guy comes up to him, and, and they have this exchange about what does it look like for a person that's kind of fa- figured it out, made their way, that has all their stuff. Like, what is it going to be for this guy to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's going to be really difficult. And so I picture Jesus like this, eye to eye with the disciples standing up, adult to adult, 
going, listen, do you guys understand how hard it's going to be for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? And it says the disciples are like amazed that he just called that out. They live in a culture where wealth means God's for you. And he's saying wealth means it's going to be really hard to get with God. And then I think Jesus does something like this. In that same setting, with all these people watching, with these parents still trying to figure out if their kids are hanging out and who's clawing on Jesus and sucking on his pant leg and all that stuff, Jesus gets down and does one of these. He goes, children, children, do you guys know how hard it's going to be for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's going to be so hard. It's going to be as hard as getting a camel through the eye of a needle. And he smiles because the little kids start to chuckle and giggle. And it's like, that sounds like a silly thing to say. It is a silly thing to say. It's an illustration. He's saying that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be like a little child. And he's trying to relate to these little children. He's also trying to anchor a picture in their minds as these little guys to go like, hang on to this. Always remember. Be careful how you live from henceforth, right? Like, and, and so it, I want to just spend a second and take a minute just kind of comparing and contrasting some things to help us really think about dialing it back and kind of doing what Jesus calls us to do, to, to become like. And I think in order to become like a little child, we need to kind of reflect on some of the differences and how far off we get as adults from our little kid view of the world. So in your notes and up here on the screen, here's some things to kind of look at. Children just trust, right? Just naturally trust to the point that they're oftentimes taken advantage of because they trust so easily. Adults tend to be naturally skeptical. And the more jaded or, or tough their life has been, the more skeptical they tend to be. Children uh, don't have a lot of extra baggage. They just see it real simple. Life is, it is what it is. Adults, it's like the longer you've lived, the more baggage you have. It's like these glasses that every time you add a new thing in your life, a new layer of complications or problems or mistrust or skepticism, you just keep putting glasses on them and they filter the way you see and do life and they filter the way you approach kingdom citizenship to the point where your stuff is so blurred, you don't even know what you're looking for anymore. Kids expect to have their needs met. What happens when a little kid wants to get picked up? That's about as much thought as they put into it. They're just like, guess what? When I do this, someone elevates me. (laughs) Right? Adults aren't sure. They almost assume people are going to let them down and not meet their needs and not do what they need or want. Kids expect to be loved. You don't have to convince or explain to a three, four, five year old, six year old that your parents love you. Like they're just like, they don't know what not love is when it's right. Grown ups 
tend to get more unsure, right? They, there's more of this almost unsure to the degree of unbelief that somebody actually would love them, could love them, would want to love them. What's in it? Like, what are you trying to get out of me, right? Kids don't care what other people think. If you ever forget this, let a four-year-old dress themselves. This is, I love this. Here's what's awesome. You know what a four-year-old, five-year-old, even six-year-old, whatever year old does? It, you know what they do? They pick out their favorite socks with their favorite pants, with their favorite tutu, with their favorite shirt, their favorite thing, their favorite hat. Like, and none of it goes together at all. But they're like, this is the stuff that I love, and I'm going to go out like this today. And you know what parents do way more often than not? Parents go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is really what's actually being, not actually being said, but, it, but it's being said. Parents go, wait a minute. I know right now you're in this really beautiful, pure, naive, like just pure stage where you don't care what other people think and you just really enjoy and you're just feeling joy because you have your favorite stuff on. I need you to tap into this fear of what people think because people are going to judge you if you go into the store like that. They're going to think terrible things about you. They're going to think terrible things about me because obviously I don't care what you wear. Like I need you to, to behave differently. Kids don't care what other people think. Kids just want to be with Jesus. It's just as simple as that. Adults bring questions to Jesus. Adults have an agenda when they come to Jesus. I need you to solve this doctrinal thing, work through this issue. How come this is this way and that's that way, right? Like we bring him problems to solve as opposed to just happy to be with them. Last thing is kids just, they don't overthink things. They just go for it. Oftentimes to their detriment, admittedly, right? They just go for it. Adults, this is a, this is a whole pandemic in and of itself. There is like a whole like quadrant of the world of adults that are like chronic overthinkers. They need to go to Overthinkers Anonymous. They're so hung up and thinking everything through and analyzing everything. I call it paralysis by analysis. They don't ever act because they're still too busy trying to solve everything. They want to know the answers to all of the deep doctrinal questions, the mysteries of the world, the what exactly is Genesis, young earth, old earth, like this issue, that issue, like, and all these things are like great things. They're fine to think about, but people just get locked into them. And they think themselves right out of kingdom citizenship. The list could just go on and on and on. Maybe you're listening and you're thinking, okay, that, I, I get what you're saying, but perhaps you're oversimplifying this a little bit. Perhaps you're just taking this Mark 10 story and this one example of Jesus with kids and he made this statement there and maybe Jesus was just making an analogy in that time and that place and, and you're trying to blow it all up into this it's for everybody thing and maybe you're stretching it. I don't know, let's see. Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, I love this passage, Jesus is walking with his disciples and we're gonna catch his disciples doing something that... Uh, 
I am super familiar with. I, I've worked in ministry for a long time with a lot of teens and young adults, and, and I love hanging out with teenagers and young adults because you get to watch and see and observe how people behave. And what's really cool is uh, girls, they all get together and they hang out and they're talking about friends and music and stuff and boys and, and just what's going on in their lives. And they're super relational and they're just engaged. And guys, you get a group of young teenager, young adult guys get together and they're talking about competition. Who can beat who up? Who could beat who in arm wrestling? Who could beat who in a race? Who could be right? Like, what about this thing? And what about that thing? There's all this competitive nature involved in it. And so when I read this story in Matthew 18, it's just so believable to me because I've watched it play out over and over and over again. I have five kids, four are boys. I got a degree in boyology. I'm not real smart with girls. Ask my daughter. But I have known a thing or two about guys, and I love this because I can just picture this story playing out. You've got these group of young guys that are following Jesus as disciples, and it goes like this, Matthew 18, verse 1. Uh, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Trying to figure out who's going to be the most awesomest. I love how Jesus answers them. It says, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I think we're starting to get a picture of what Jesus had in mind. When he said that we need to become like a little child, he said there's, there's something about the humility of a little child and the way that they see and do life. I'm sure there are many more ways that we could dive into this and unpack humility and the humility of a child, but I just want to camp out on three things that I think if you will just take time and wrestle with these three things, run them through the filter of you. It will help you get dialed in to childlike humility that I think Jesus had in mind to be a kingdom citizen. The first one is uh, to be humble like a child is to instinctively depend on God. You see, to be like a child, it, it means that you just have no problem depending on God. Like, like little kids, they, they don't think like, man, I, I, I really need something. I'm wondering how many doors I'm going to have to knock on in the neighborhood before I get it. Like, they, they don't ever think about going anywhere except to their parents. It, it's, it's second nature. There's something about that dependence to just be humble enough to not think that you have the right way, that you have the solution, that you can figure it out. Right? Humility is just not thinking uh, more of yourself than you are. It doesn't mean that you're beating yourself down or that you're telling everybody how terrible you are. That's not humility. That's not healthy. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But like the humility of a child to have just this, this simple dependence on God because you know, first off and foremost, he's the answer and he's going to guide you through it. Next up is uh, kids aren't concerned with power, prestige, or purpose. 
Man, is this ever a thing in the world? Like, this isn't just an America thing. This is a global thing, right? Around the world, in every culture, there are industries built around books and media and movies and reality TV and, like, uh, big fancy speakers and everybody trying to help tap into the desire and, and want that adults have to be awesome, to have power, to rule over other people, to have authority, to have influence. And everybody out there wants to try and tap into that. Like, here's the thing that will always sell. Try and tell people how to be amazing, how to be awesome, how to, how to have like the rule the roost in whatever world or whatever industry or business they're in. Uh, There's all, you're always going to find a customer because there's always people that just can't seem to get enough of that and they hang on their title and their prestige and their influence and their power over other people and kids just aren't like that at all. No kids stand outside their bedroom door and go, hey mom, I'm not going in until you get the title on my toy box correct. I need my plaque put up. Executive Director of Disasters. Kids don't live for titles or power or influence. Last thing here is the unquestioning acceptance of God and his word. You think about how kids relate with their parents. They just believe them. They just believe them. I love seeing and thinking about little kids when they lose that first tooth. They're excited. It's usually a big family event. If you've got a cool dad in the family, it involved like stringing a door or a Nerf gun or something extravagant, right? They lose that first tooth and they're excited because the parents oftentimes have told them a story about the tooth fairy. And these little kids hang on every word and they're excited. It's the first day ever they want to go to bed early because they're thinking there's money in this deal when I wake up, right? And they're, they hide their tooth under there. You got a special little compartment for it or whatever. And they wake up in the morning and you know that they believed the parents' story because the first thing they do is stick their hand under their pillow and pull out money and they're like, wow, they can't wait to come tell their parents because it's like, it's true. What you said is true. Like, ah, it's so fun, right? Don't worry, I'm not going to tell any more of that story. You guys can solve that one on your own. But I love the, just the purity, the simplicity of a little kid that just believes what their parent says. And, and I think God's calling us to that. When he calls us to this humility of a child, it's like, what if you just took God at his word? What if we just approached God in the text and, and just believed it instead of trying to solve it, unravel it, unpack every drama and every inch of it, every drop of it, right? Like what if we just believed it? When we were prepping for this and kind of getting ready for the, the sermon uh, in our sermon club where we get together and plan things, Alex had shared a really cool quote that just fit perfectly with this series that we're going through, and particularly today. And I put it in your notes. I wanted to share it with you. It says, and yet Jesus did teach that unless we change and become like children, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
He wasn't saying that we need to be irrational, check our brains at the door, and hang on to naive fairy tales. But I think, in a way, he calls us back to that moment of wonder and mystery when we encountered God with the innocence of childhood. God calls us back to the innocence of childhood, to have the humility of a child. That is the gateway to the kingdom. Hey, in your notes there, there's going to be some kind of questions for reflection. I want to run through them with you before we finish with communion together. Uh, The first one says, do you recall a time when you were full of wonder? Like, right? Like, what was your your Pentax camera story? How far back can you go when you can remember just being full of wonder and awe? What is that? When was that time? This next one, I really like this one. Uh, how would a four or five year old solve the problem that you're going through right now? Everybody in here has got something. We've all got a thing we're going through. You've got a, a marriage thing, a, a relationship thing, a friend thing, a coworker thing. You've got a car thing. You've got a neighbor's dog pooping on your yard thing, right? Like we've all got a thing. I want you to think, like, what would a four or five, if you have a four or five-year-old, give them the story and let them solve it. See what happens. And and here's why I'm saying that. I I want you to practice thinking like a kid. There's something about that that's so important that Jesus says that we need to actually, like, become like one. It it really hung Nicodemus up. He was like, wait a minute. I got to become a kid again? I don't know if you've seen my mom. Right? Like, I don't think I can do this born again thing. And Jesus is like, no, there's something about becoming like a child again. Next step, how can you simplify your life so you can experience wonder? Here's the reality is that hurry and busy and drivenness and checklists and getting things done and accomplishing stuff, all of that stuff may sound great, but it is the absolute enemy of wonder. When that's the way your life is run and driven, it is at odds with childlike wonder and humility. And if you can't recognize that, you're going to be constantly far from the kingdom. Lastly is uh, commit to practice childlike wonder this week. Uh, go for a walk. Like find somewhere to go hang out and, and just imagine what it would be like to be a little kid, right? If you've got a little kid, get them to the park, take them off the leash and just let them go. Right? And then you just go live vicariously through them and just wonder at what they wonder. Be interested in what they're interested in. Look at what they look at. Don't hurry them. Just be with them. I think it's good practice for us to reconnect to this childlike humility and childlike wonder that is so important that Jesus says that without it, you don't have kingdom citizenship. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.